We are wrapping up our series called Thankful. And the whole point behind Thankful is we're approaching that Thanksgiving season, and just like we have faithful kids, I wanted to have thankful people, not just kids. Thankful, not just for kids anymore. So um, there we go. So thankful is a, is a whole approach, and there's a direct tie between how thankful we are and how much of a sense of contentment we have. We've made that case in a few of the other earlier sessions, so if you want to go back, you can look at the context of contentment. You can look at the process of contentment. Those are always online at wordsurf.org slash sermons or on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page. Like two years ago, I never would have thought I'd be saying that, but here we are. And then today we're going to talk about the focus of contentment because if we lose focus, we can lose contentment. If we lose contentment, we can lose gratitude. If we lose gratitude, we can actually lose faith. We never lose Jesus. He doesn't go away. He's always here. But sometimes that connection can be a little sketchy. And, and so that thankfulness of this season and that tie to contentment is where we want to focus on today. No pun intended to focus. You may be getting ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know how your family views Thanksgiving, but traditionally it's this very Norman, Norman Rockwell-ish approach of the perfect family, the perfect turkey, all the friends and family are gathered around, and those two aren't necessarily the same thing, right? <laughs> Everybody's got that crazy uncle or whatever. And, and so you have this picture in mind. Maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But there's a lot of anxiety and stress. And while this should be the most content time of year, sometimes it's also the most stressful time of year. Because you got to worry about travel. you got to worry about schedules. These days, you got to worry about COVID. Are, are we masking? Are we not masking? Are we vaccinated? Are we not? There's just a whole ton of stuff out there that makes, potentially, this season stressful. And so your ideal dinner might look a little more like this. The typical American family, the Colonel Sanders is providing the bucket of thanks, and, and we're doing Coca-Cola instead of, you know, whatever, and the dogs are taking the place at the table. So if this is you, just, just rest assured, it's not the meal that makes the difference, right? It's the people around the table that make the difference, and the, the relationships of those people around the table. And my greatest offering of hope for you this year is that if this relationship, if between us and God is good, this relationship is going to be great. That's where I want to focus today as we go through a familiar verse, but maybe in a different way. So this is Jesus, and if you're playing the home game, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're playing the home game, it's Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 25. And I'm not going to put the words on the screen today because it's a long verse, but if you want to pull it up on your manual version uh, or your electronic version, and if you're playing the home game, your computer or your iPhone, whatever you've got, uh, we'll be talking about Jesus. To set the context here, this is a series of Jesus' teachings in chapter 6, and he is talking about a variety of things. Now, to set the stage just before this, like I always say, read the Bible in circles, a little before, a little after, just before this, he has been talking about where your treasure is and how people work so hard to make treasure here on earth, when in reality, the most important treasure is the treasure in heaven. That's the place where no thief can break in and destroy. Uh, it doesn't rot. It doesn't rust. It doesn't go away. Store your treasures in heaven. So just before that, he has said, uh, he said that just before this, and he's saying you can't serve two masters, and now we're into today's text. 
This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Jesus' teaching is fascinating to me for a few reasons. For Bible study purposes, anytime you hear this phrase, the, the little hairs ought to stand up on your neck and your ears should perk up, and this is the phrase, therefore I tell you. According to your version, it might be, verily, verily, I say unto you. It might be, but I say, this is Jesus, Son of God, giving it to you straight. So many times we try to read the Bible and we try to interpret and we get it wrong. Look at the Pharisees. For example, great knowledge of all the scriptures, application's a little off. But when Jesus says, this is what people say, this is what people hear, but I tell you, so anytime you see that phrase in your Bible study, really zone in because this is God's truth coming from God's own son, his very mouth. And this is what he says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. And notice what he's picking after. He's picking after essentials. You can't not eat and you can't not drink for long before it starts to have drastic effects. And so naturally, that's what we tend to focus on. It's important, it's essential. But what he's saying is, don't worry about it. Easy for him to say. I mean, he can turn rocks into bread, right? Anybody else ever have that thought? It's like, yeah, of course you can say that. I, on the other hand, live in the real world where I have many concerns. And it's not that we're not interested in these things. It's not that these things aren't essential and important. He's just saying, yeah, absolutely they're important, but don't worry over them. Worry in this passage, in this context, if you look at the rest of the verse and how it's being used, worry is not skepticism, or, or excuse me, worry is, is not um, the, uh, the assurance, let me back up, worry in this case, here it is, this is the point I was looking for, worry in this case is, is the uh, lack of our trust in God's ability to provide. That might be spiritual, that might be material. But worry, as he says it, is our distrust of God's ability to provide for us. Now, here's a tough one. That's sin. Ooh, that one kind of hurts. Let me say that again. Worry is sin. But, Bill, I worry all the time. Yeah, you know what? So do I. I wish I didn't. 
But I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I do. I do worry. I get anxiety. I'm like, oh, what about? What do you, uh? It's sin. Now, before you go, oh, I'm such a bad person, I should, you know, beat myself or whatever, understand the, the meaning of sin is to miss the mark. We miss the mark when we don't trust God's ability to provide. Now, let me put sin in a little different light for you here for just a second. This means that God has a desire for us. And his desire is that we would trust him and that we would love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in that process, we would not have worry or anxiety because we know he's going to provide for us. That's God's love. And that's when we miss the mark, we are creating something in ourselves that he has no desire for us to have. How many people enjoy the side effects of worry and anxiety? <laughs> Said no one ever. Nobody likes anxiety. Your heart races. You you feel all sweaty. Maybe you don't sleep well at night. Maybe you don't eat well. Maybe your your insides are all churning, and, and nobody likes that feeling. And that's not what God wants for us. And so He is through His Son's own mouth saying, "Don't worry, I've got you covered." The other thing that I find fascinating about this particular passage is the examples that He uses. He uses birds and flowers. And if you think about it, this is Jesus' genius, right? Birds, because we worry about what we eat, and flowers, because we worry about what we wear. This is what the pagans chase after. That's what he says in this book right here. So the birds of the air, what, what lessons do we learn? I'm always fascinated at whenever I see Jesus pull an example from wherever he is, the first question I always ask myself is, why did he use that example? And the second question I always ask myself is, why didn't he use... And I try to substitute other examples. Some people, as they look at this passage, they'll say, well, he's talking about the birds of the air because he's out in the field. He's talking to his disciples, and there's probably birds flitting around. It's like, well, yeah, there's probably sheep moving around too. Why didn't he use sheep? I mean, he talks about sheep a lot. You know, be like the sheep. They don't worry. They, they get fed. And here's a couple of things I find interesting about the bird analogy. Birds work for what they get. Sheep, mm, not so much, <laughs> right? Sheep have a shepherd. The shepherd does everything for them. It guides them beside, you know, you say Psalm 23 in your mind, you get the perfect shepherd, right? It's all taken care of. You don't have to do a thing except just be there. Birds have to do a little work. And I wonder sometimes if, if that's some of the source of our anxiety. We may have an expectation that when we accept Christ, and he is going to provide for us that so we don't have to do a thing. That might be true for you, and if that works out for you, let me know. But here's what I found, is that when I trust God to provide, he has already provided nine times out of ten. He's already given me everything that I need to make it happen. All I have to do is go in accordance with his will and make it happen. Now, that might be me individually, that might be we as a church, that might be we as a community group, but we have what we need if we trust Christ's provision. Now, that does require us to do some things. So that's the first thing I think of when I think of birds of the air. The other thing I think about is, how many birds have you seen stressing over their social media profile? You ever see, what's that? They tweet a lot. They tweet a lot. Oh, well played. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, two weeks ago, it was Dave with a Google, and now it's Dave with jokes. That's awesome. David, sorry. 
Yeah, they tweet a lot. But here's the interesting thing. I've never seen a bird out there in the tree doing this, right? Their claws, they have carpal tunnel claw syndrome, you know, because of, no, no, they never do that. What they do is they focus on the essentials. Uh, I'm pretty sure they eat organic, unless they live around a restaurant. And then uh, that'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? Do a study on birds that get food from restaurants and see the health impact. You know, that ought to tell us something right there. But they don't, they don't stress about storing up. I've also never seen a bird build a second nest to fill with all the stuff that they're accumulating. I say this as a person who owns a three-car garage. This is aimed back at me, right? I don't have three cars. Well, technically right now I do, sort of. But I don't need a three-car garage, but yet there's something in me that wants one. And if that's not enough, by golly, I'll get a storage unit. Why not? It's the American way. Right? But do we need all of that? The birds of the air would say no. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Don't burden yourself with all this stuff, which, by the way, is temporary. As Billy Graham once famously said, I have never seen a U-Haul in a funeral procession. You can't take it with you. <laughs> it's not like they're going to pack up your stuff and go, here, well, let's, let's take it with you. It doesn't work that way. So the birds are fascinating to me because... Yeah, they don't store, they don't do all that stuff, but they do wake up every day focused on the essentials. And they do go about the business that they need to go about in order to survive and build nests and have young ones and raise them and all that stuff. But they don't do it in a panicky way, which then leads us to the flowers of the field. Why do we worry about what we wear? Well, this has never been a problem for me, in full disclosure. (laughs) You may have noticed. (laughs) Well, why do you think I stayed in the military for 21 years? I didn't have to worry about what to wear. I didn't even have to worry about how to wear it. They told me what to wear and how to wear it. Done. It's like your animals for men. It was awesome. <laughs> Never had to worry about a thing. And now I do. And that's why I have Rana. Thank you. I love you so much. <laughs> and you do too, believe me. <laughs> you just don't know it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he talks about the lilies of the field. If you think about that, that natural process, there's another case where they do exactly what God designed them to do. They have a root system that draws water. It circulates through the plant. They use the sunlight. They produce these beautiful blooms, which are what God's design. They don't try to be something that they're not. There's not a lily out there going, man, I wish I was a rose. If I could just be a rose, then I'd be happy. No, they're just all in with the lily thing. So however God has made us, bloom into that. If, if God made you a nerd, man, be a full-bloomed nerd. I think I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> Whatever it is that God has made you, and here's why. Because you remember earlier where I said God has provided everything that we already need? If he made every one of us the same, we would be lacking somewhere. But he is not. I trust the creator of the universe to make us all different and to put us together in a way that gives us everything we need. So you be you, the way God made you. God's already planned things for other people, and if you really want to be a rose but you're not a rose, I got good news and bad news. You're never really going to be a rose, but you could be something else amazing. Don't short sell God in the way that he made you. It's going to be a wonderful thing, trust me. So the, the 
opposite of worry. Let's talk about that for just a second because, okay, I don't want to worry. How do I not worry? The opposite of worry in this passage has nothing to do with your doubt. It has nothing to do with your skepticism. It has everything to do to actively trusting that God will provide. So if you're looking for a way to worry less, trust more. For those of you who have a few more trips around the sun, you know what I'm talking about? You need to use the high uh, mileage oil in your body. (laughs) You know this because you have the gift of being able to look back on life and see where God has provided. For those of you who have less trips around the sun, maybe you've not experienced this yet because the world can be scary. There's times when things absolutely do not go as planned. But you know what? That's okay. You will get through this. God will help you through this. And once he does, I encourage you to journal that, to remember that, write that down. Because someday you'll be able to look back and go, man, that was a terrible situation. And you'll be able to look back and say, but God provided. Increase trust, decrease worry. You see how it works? There are a few things then that we need to focus on if we're going to be able to keep this going. And so here's some suggestions as you have some downtime, hopefully this week with Thanksgiving coming, on what we can focus on. The first thing that we can focus, this is very practical advice. This is something I think Jesus would have a way of saying. Focus on what you can control. There's a lot of things we focus on we have absolutely no control over. Some of the things going on in this country just blow your mind, do they not? But can I do anything about them? Not really. I I mean, I can do my little part in my little part of the world. I can write my congressman. I can write my representative. I can write emails. But is it really going to make a difference? doesn't mean I don't try, if that's your thing. But here's, here's a thing that I found very practical to do. Whatever it is that is constantly on your mind, write it on a card or There's probably an app for that if if somebody wants to develop one. Write it down. And then ask yourself, after the emotion has passed, ask yourself, can I physically do anything about this? If the answer is yes, then add it to your to-do list. Easy enough. But if the answer is no, there's really nothing that I can do about this, add it to a special box that you've made that says God and give it to God. Do you think God doesn't know what's going on? He absolutely does. Do you think he's concerned about what's going on? He probably is. So do you think he's capable of dealing with that? I'll bet he is. Let it go. Less holding on, less worry. Less worry, more trust. It's all a healthy circle or an unhealthy spiral if it goes the other direction. So focus on what you can control. Let the rest go. The second thing, focus on the eternal. A lot of times we think about, uh, or maybe I think about, everything that's going on in life and how stressful it can be. And here's the thing. Here's the reason I think inherently we are unhappy a lot. That this isn't the life that we were built for. And this isn't our home. Let that sink in for a minute. We were created for an eternity with God. That's the Garden of Eden. That's paradise. Things have gone a little south since then, and they're still south. Some would say they're going souther. Is that a word? It is now. More south. Mo south. 
It's not, it's not good. But this isn't our home. Now, that doesn't mean that we abandon this and we don't worry about this. This means that we have a recognition that there is something greater, and that is an eternal thing. And when we focus on the eternal things, we tend to worry less, trust more, and have more peace. Focus on the eternal things means what's most important in my life is seeing others meet Christ, recognizing that this life of mine is going to be a blip on the radar of eternity, this much compared to all that. That's what's at stake. Think about the eternal. Think about the God who is steadfast, whose love never fails, who will never leave you or abandon you. That's something worth focusing on. The, the one thing they say, uh, I found this quote I found very interesting because a lot of times we'll obsess over something or worry meticulously over one thing. He said the best way to conquer that obsession is to find a greater obsession. So what's the greatest obsession of all? There you go, David for the win again, it's Jesus. Yes, the greatest obsession of all is helping people find Jesus. And if I can be obsessed by that, everything's going to fall into place. The last thing that we can focus on is value. Value. Because in this, pro in this proverb right here, or this, uh, sorry, I started to say the word pericope. Nobody knows what that means. It's a story that Jesus tells. You know what it means? Seriously. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a short story that Jesus or others tell with a lesson. And here's what he says in this process of value. God knows what you need, and are you not more valuable than the birds? Are you not more valuable than a flower or grass that is here today and is thrown into the fire tomorrow? And the answer is, of course, yes, you are. If you've ever doubted your value, understand that Jesus himself says you are more valuable to God than these things. And if you've ever really doubted your value to God, understand this. The God of the universe sent his only son to die in your place. Do you think you have value to him? More value than I can imagine. I've never sent one of my kids to die for you. I mean, I love you, but <laughs> I draw the line somewhere. Right? He loves you that much. And so the question becomes, are you valued? Yes. The real question is never, does God value us? The real question is, do we value God? Because when we stop valuing God, we fall back into that trap. We fall back into the, he can't provide. He won't, work. He won't fix this for me. He won't make this go away. And the trust goes down, and the worry comes up, and the contentment slides right off the plate. And we're right back into that negative cycle. So as we prepare for uh, our Thanksgiving time in an effort to be thankful, I want to remind us of a couple of things. That God will provide. That we can trust that. And in that trust, we can find a certain amount of contentment. And if we focus on things like the eternal, if we focus on things that we can control, and we focus on our value to God, we can find that contentment. I have an experiment that I want you to try around the Thanksgiving table this, this year, assuming that you're meeting around a Thanksgiving table. I want you to look at everything around you. Look at that meal that's been exquisitely prepared. Look at the house that's been cleaned and, and, and made pretty with all the stuff that you do. Clearly, I'm not a decorator. <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Look at everything else that goes into this season. Look at even ahead to Christmas and the gifts that we're contemplating. Look at all of that stuff and ask yourself, of all of these things, which of these are temporary? And the answer is going to be almost every one of them. You know the one that's not going to be temporary? Are the people sitting around the table that also believe in Christ. That might be good news or bad news to you, but that's the truth. That meal that's been stressed over is temporary. That house that's been meticulously cleaned, no matter how beautiful, is temporary. That neighborhood that we're living in is temporary. The struggles that we're having are temporary. One thing remains, and that is Christ and Christ alone. So I'm convinced that if we start with an appetizer of trust, we have a main course of contentment, and we follow up with a, a dessert of thankfulness, then we will leave that table thankful. Will you pray with me, please? God, we say thanks a lot, but teach our hearts to really delve into the reasons that we have to be thankful. Teach us to focus, to focus on the things that are not of this world. God, there are so many distractions, so many things to burn through. I pray that in this season where we have a, a little bit of downtime, that you would help us to contemplate what is truly important, what is truly eternal, how much value we have to you. God, help us to see you clearly. And not just once in a while, but help us to focus daily, even minute by minute if, if, if we need to, so that we can begin to understand what you've done for us and what you're already at work doing. Build our trust. Help us to see clearly where your hand has been at work, even in the tough times, maybe especially in the tough times, because the toughest times make the greatest stories. God, in our weakness, make us strong. In our little faith, Take away our worry. Take away our doubt. Take away everything that stands between us so that we can be content and be thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.